Hello, and welcome to episode eight of the D50 Shades of D&D podcast. We are doing part two of our discussion on the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. I am Todd, and with me is my co-host, Rick. Hey. And James. Hello. And continuing on in our discussion of Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, we would really be amiss if we didn't talk about the incredible community that has come together around the game to the point that it's such a big part of the game that it has to be discussed even in a review of the game. Right. By far the best that uh, that I've been a part of in my D50 plus years. So uh, <laughs> um, I think it culminated or like uh, just a glorious, glorious part of it was those uh, Google Plus days. You know, the, the DCC oh, yeah. community on Google Plus, that was my number one destination when, you know, when I checked online, you know, see what was going on there, see what new posts there were, see what it seemed like everybody involved in the game was a large part of that. With the possible exception of Joseph Goodman himself, not a social media guy, but, you know, he, regular posts from Doug, regular posts from Harley, regular posts from Michael Curtis, you name it. They were all a part of that. And just you had, uh, there's just so many great things that came from from not only the community, but through that venue. I mean, it's still a great community. It always will be. Uh, it's just somewhat diminished by the fact that that was my favorite platform for it. Other than, you know, going to conventions and actually hanging out with them in person. But these days, who knows when that's going to resume again? Right. Not yeah. to bring us all down. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, I was thinking about my first Gen Con uh, that when DCC was out. I can't remember if it was 2013 or 20. I know definitely I was there in 2014. I think I stopped by the booth in 2013 and met Harley uh, and Joe and Dieter and talked. Uh, and they were just so nice. Uh, and Har you'll never meet a nicer person than Harley Stroh. But they were just super interested in in and appreciative of somebody who was a fan uh and wanted to hear all about my experiences with the game and knew uh they knew todd <laughs> and you know just we're super down to earth, nice people. But then the next year in 2014 uh, was when I feel like I really got plugged into the community in that, it, you know, there was just so many more people around uh, the game. And I went to my first DougCon, which was an amazing, undescribable strange experience. Every year uh, at Gen Con, Doug Kovacs runs a little mini convention at, uh, I think, usually starting Thursday night uh, at the um, Embassy Suites uh, Hotels Lounge. Uh, and somehow we've gotten away with this every year. We just take over the lounge uh, for the evening and run one game that consists of multiple tables of people all playing in the same game, multiple DMs all collaborating on just the most outlandish, fly by the seat of your pants, like exciting, dangerous, chaotic. Whatever, whatever is it? Whatever Doug is into at the time, you know, Doug likes, uh, you know, what is that, that Robotech? Uh, not Robotech, but something related to it. Oh, um, uh, mechanoids, oh, something like mechanoids, that. Mechanoids, mechanoids, yeah. Yeah, he fun. likes that, so we did one where that was brought into it, and, uh, you know, I remember doing one, you talked about the influence of uh, Warhammer earlier, I remember Doug running a, uh, a session of sailors uh, on the Starless Sea. He ran it backwards. He calls it reverse sailors. 
where we played the Beastmen, and uh, suddenly there's a, a Warhammer 40k Chaos Marines that we're you know as funnel characters. So we're we're fighting guys in space armor and using you know bolt weapons or chain weapons and that kind of thing. So of course it was absolutely nuts and everybody had a ball. But uh, that's uh, that's kind of like what happens at DugCon. I'm actually wearing a, a DugCon shirt right now. Escape from Planet Punjar, uh, <laughs> which was like uh, a Warhammer 40k in the city of Punjar um, uh, DugCon game. There was mm-hmm. a uh, Catastrophe Island was one year. Um, the most recent one was um, oh shoot, it was like Mad Max and Hieronymus. Right, right. Uh, yeah, Inferno. Uh, Inferno Road uh, or something like that. Yeah, Hieronymus Bach and uh, and Mad Max all combined. Uh, anyway, I met so many people there and saw so many really just fantastic games. That's I met Wayne Star- Snyder there for the first time. Uh, yeah, Wayne Snyder is a fantastic human being. His artwork is amazing. The the uh, Doug always insists on calling Doug Con Wayne Con. So, you know, Doug gives all yeah. credit to Wayne. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne is just salt of the earth. Uh, you ever, yeah. uh, if you've ever gone to a, a Gen Con and you've seen the massive gong that they use in the tournament, that's yep. uh, that's Wayne's work right there. Yeah, he's he's just so creative. And I met the Metal Gods of Ur-Hadad for the first time there. Uh, Love those guys. All of them, actually. Uh, even even uh, Diogo and, um, oh, shoot. I'm going to not remember his name on the well, If air. I have to, I can look behind the chair I'm sitting on right now because I am sitting in my DCC chair and they did all sign it. Sorry, Gabriel. Gabriel, <laughs> Gabriel was yeah. the other one. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they made it They made it up from South America. Away from my- that was a good year. 2014 was – and there were several zines out by that point. I think the first Gong Farm – or not Gong Farmers, but the, the first Crawl zine was out. by. The- yeah, that's a large part of the community and or the 3PP, uh, the third-party supplements, uh, the, you know, the zines. I mean, I think that the zine movement would have happened or the – not the movement, but the, uh, the renewal – the you know the the renewed interest in in zines and uh, I think a, a large part of it was tied to DCC and the way they just exploded. Now so, um, it's unusual okay. to say like if you don't have a podcast, you have a zine. You know, <laughs> Reverend, Reverend Dak I think is a big part of bringing yeah. that uh, back with Crawl. Oh, absolutely, Crawl that is amazing, back. and I wish it would continue one day because. Uh, you know, it was always good stuff. So you're you're hitting on some points that are very big for Dungeon Crawl Classic in that I've never seen a community in which the members of the community have produced so much content for the game. Yeah. We've talked about zines. There are all kinds of zines, Crawling Under a Broken Moon, Metal Gods of Erhadad, Crawl, Dam. Yeah. Dam's Not, an actual freaking magazine. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Not not yeah. to mention people that we've met that play Dungeon Crawl Classic. They've become podcasters oh, yep. uh, like Jeff Goad and Joan Jen Troyer. Brinkman, Joan Troyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bob they Brinkman. produce content for the game. Bob Brinkman has written for Goodman Games. Jen Brinkman edits for Goodman Games. David Beatty has his own little company now, uh, started uh, with the, the Carnival of Dead Souls. So and, you know. these people that we played DCC with the first time we went to Gary Con 
are now producing yeah, content yeah. for the game. Joseph Goodman embraces all that and yep. he cultivates it. It's brilliant. Oh, and we got to mention one other thing. If we're talking third-party products, you know, it might all seem like it's all nods to the past, like zines and stuff like that, like old school stuff. But then you got to talk about the Purple Sorcerer app, uh, which is yeah. almost indispensable to anybody that likes Dungeon Crawl Classics is you've got to check out the uh, Purple Sorcerer app, which is so much more than just a dice roller. It, it's a generator. You can generate. It's, it's parties. All things. Uh, and it's absolutely amazing. Uh, John Mara has done such an amazing job with that. And, uh, you know, you cannot look into DCC without checking out the Purple Sorcerer app. It's, it's mandatory. It's absolutely mandatory. And, and something that we all took part in, uh, DCC gave birth to Mutant Crawl Classics. Oh yeah, I've heard yeah. of it. Yeah, Absolutely. we played we played that a couple times. Yeah, that uh, Jim Jim Wampler that plucky guy, guy uh, Jim Wampler. I'm familiar with him. <laughs> you were talking about our good advice dwarf uh, last episode, and uh, drawn by another other than Mr. Wampler himself. I, I I will try to get a picture of that posted up on our sure, Facebook sure. page. So what do you What do you think about DCC? like encouraged such a huge community response and created a culture of creators like it has. I think that uh, it's it's everything we've mentioned. It's a direct result of that. It's a direct result of how good guys that the people behind Goodman Games and DCC are. I think that even if the game wasn't as brilliant as it was, that would make me already lean towards maybe forgiving some of its, you know, bumps and warts and so forth. Not that which it really has, but just because those guys are so cool, I would be inclined to like it. The fact that it is just that damn good, that's, I mean, even if they were kind of like standoffish or, or jerks, I would still be inclined to like their game because it's just so well done. But you put those two together, that they're great people, and they put out a great product that makes me want to play it, that makes me want to own it, that makes me want to run it. And I think that's probably you just it gets exponential and then uh, other people feel that way and they introduce it to their friends and their friends and and then is that is that what you're asking that's that's definitely part of it I, i'm curious also just like what about the game itself do you think encourages such community response and organization uh, well, he, one thing joseph goodman himself yeah reaches out, he, he reached out to a lot of yep artists yeah. He reached out for a lot of input. Yeah. He reaches out to people. He's accepting of the people. Mm -hmm. uh, he In a time when it. Wizards was like obviously regretting their decision to make the uh, the OGL and backing off for that, uh, they made a serious move backwards from that with uh, the release of fourth edition and so forth. But it's like Joseph, he, 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 went, he took it even a step further. And I think that... Um, Again, I think that was a brilliant move on his part. And uh, I think uh, Wizards has kind of come back a little bit in the direction where they, they're not as standoffish as they were with fourth. Uh, I think they opened it up more for fifth, but not to the degree that third was. There's a lot of fan-produced content on the DMs Guild. Oh, absolutely. And stuff yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but with DCC, also the fact that they put out one book and they didn't follow up yeah. with splat book after splat yeah. book. Yeah. They they didn't it took them almost ten years to come out with their annual. Yeah, you know? they they didn't put out a paladin or a bard or a ranger, so people would say, "Hey, 
here's my take on that. Here's my take on that. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that the game doesn't agonize over game balance. Oh. Uh, people are free to throw stuff out there yeah. and people will use it. And it's like, oh, this might be a little overpowered or underpowered, but that's okay. Anybody who's played uh, the, uh, uh, what's the Michael Curtis adventure where intrigue at the court of chaos? Yeah. Whereas first level characters, you interact with actual, you know, gods. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. And I think that, I think he chose to do that to showcase that part of Dungeon Crawl Classics. And it's, he succeeded on, on every count and more so, you know, what a brilliant adventure and everybody should check it out. I mean, if you haven't had a chance to play it or run it, uh, you should really do so. Uh, Play it first, then run it yourself. Maybe maybe Uh, don't play it with people that you want to stay friends with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's, you know, people that can't separate what happens at the table with what's going on. Yeah, maybe so, but uh, so much fun. (laughs) So I I think also that module is so appendix and it's, it's very good, but Uh, to touch on on what todd said absolutely one of the things that that leads to such creativity in the community is the fact that the game is unabashedly incomplete in that not it's not you know they don't spend 20 pages describing what a role-playing game is they don't you know they they intentionally and joseph loves this concept i know uh they intentionally Uh, and Doug as well, they intentionally make uh, contradictory statements on rules throughout the book. They leave whole sections open for the DM. Um, How does invisibility work, James? Yeah, good (laughs) question. You're going to have to like, you know, uh, ultimately it's probably up to the judge. Yes. But uh, you're going to have to look at different, um, like, how does blindness work? Okay, well, how does the spell invisibility work? And sure. ultimately sort of like use those and, and what you can find online to, to really make your, your final decision, how you're going to treat it yourself. So it's not yeah. necessarily spelled out for you. To play the game, you actually kind of have to work at it. So just to run the game, you kind of have to create your own content. Ruling's not rules, baby. Yeah. Ruling's not rules. But- quest for everything you have to like the book talks about the fact that if you want a new spell if in order to get a new spell as a wizard you have to quest for the spell you want a magic item there is no magic item in emporium at fourth level you do not automatically you know know, get to boost one of your your uh attributes you have to go you know find the strongest man in the land and uh you know train with him uh, yeah. And then maybe at the end of that, you know, your judge might like give you a chance at like bumping up your strength by a point or that kind yeah. of thing. So the, the whole system encourages discovery through play, I think, absolutely as part of it. The other thing I want to say is that the, one of the things that, you know, we focus a lot on the writing and the rules of the game, encouraging these things. But I think, honestly, also the other thing that really encourages two, well, two things, really, that encourages people is people leave reading the book inspired. And a large part of that, I think, is the artwork. Uh, The artwork inspires you know, it gives you where you could go, where the stories could go. It gives you an idea of just like the sky's the limit. You know, it's, it's all of, it's all of seventies 
genre fiction, you know, distilled down into a book with just amazing artwork by Doug Kovacs, by Peter Mullen, Jim Rosloff, uh, so many, so many great artists uh, in this book. And I think the artwork leaves you inspired to create your own, to, to be creative. And I, and then the second part of that, I think, is the aesthetics. And uh, I mentioned earlier in the previous episode, the punk rock ex- aesthetic of the game comes out in the community because of people like Harley Stroh and Doug Kovacs. I think Doug Kahn uh, did a lot for establishing the community and the zine culture uh, You know, came directly out of, out of the people who were involved in the game, putting putting that culture into the game and organizing, you know, starting small, organizing word of mouth, uh, and then onto G plus, uh, I think that that made a huge impact on encouraging people to get into the game. To hey, you you want to make a zine? That's awesome. Go do that. Just yep. You know, and like you said, Todd Joseph, being encouraging of that. You know, if you want to put DCC on it. All you have to do is ask, and Joseph is like, "Sure, no problem." He's super. But he does review it. He, he does, does have it. some. He definitely yeah. has standards and criteria. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There, it gets reviewed. But the community has just produced so much because of that, and it's encouraged by other people in the community who who are releasing content and trying to get other people to release content. I think it just kind of has a very underground um, subculture influence that directly comes from Doug, uh, directly comes from Harley. I think it's a big reason why the community is the best community I've I've seen for a role-playing game. No doubt. So I'm I'm really going to tax you guys now. Are you ready? Rick, give me your likes. I, I dig deep. I, I was I was hoping we do dislikes first. Let's end on a high you note. You want to do dislikes first? Yeah, let's do the dislikes first. Okay, hit me with some dislikes. All right, do we want to go all of mine or do we want to go like I'll throw out one, you throw out one, James throws out one? What do you want to uh, do? You throw it. We'll, we'll take turns. All right, okay, here's one, and this might be semi-controversial. I don't know. The uh, adherence to the red box. I'm not a red box fan. Uh, I am a one E fan. And so by the time that red box came along, I was kind of dismissive about it. I was like, I'm playing advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Why would I be interested in this? So uh, it reveres the one E I mean, it reveres the red box and so much of it comes from, uh, from the red box. And I kind of wish it was more based on one E because that's my, uh, it's my first love. Uh, you know, we still, I mean, I play in, up until recently, I was playing in three 1E games at the same time. I'm now down to two. Uh, I've always loved 1E, and I wish that the game drew a little bit more from 1E than it did from the Red Box. When you so, say the Red Box, do you, uh, you mean the Mincer uh, Red Box or right. D&D right. basic in general? Well, I hadn't really thought that clearly about it, James, obviously. Um, I just meant like from like uh, the, the mincer version of the rules that seems to be so heavy an in influence. I mean, I think it's credited in the book uh, and it features like things like, you know, the way that the uh, attribute bonuses are and, uh, and on down. Um, I, I tend to favor more the way 
that the uh, the first edition rules, and I wish it sort of gave more of a tip of the hat to them. Talked about last episode. I talked about uh, how like uh, when it came down to it, I was in favor of uh, using the percentile dice for like these skills, much like first edition does. Um, and it just goes on from there. I wish they, they say party like 1974. Now I know the first edition wasn't out in uh, 1974, but I wish it had more of that 70s kind of and adopted maybe some of the things that are considered, I don't know, maybe not as optimal as some of the, the later, uh, you know, as the rules got more refined. But uh, I would have loved to send seen something like, you know, I think you guys know by this point, I love percentile strength. I love psionics. Sorry, Todd. Uh, <laughs> I love the monk. What love says the psionics. 70s more wow. than the monk? I wish those things would have been uh, recognized in the rules or even presented as like an option. I think racist class should have been presented as an option. Now, I've come to love like the halfling and the dwarf and the elf, the way they're presented. But um, I wish that there would have been an option to play them first edition style too. Are you advocating to uh, or, or planning on releasing an advanced DCC? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be the first. I know that, you know, all you have to do is Google advanced DCC and see that a number of people have come up, uh, tried to do that or maybe successfully did it. I don't know. I would, uh, I would love to see that. So there could be a halfling monk in your future. A halfling monk would be bad at oh my gosh just think about what that little guy could do <laughs> so my my controversial dislike of the day i, I have to talk about the funnel although i i love it's on the my funnel list. it's on my list i love the funnel as an introduction yep. to the game yep. i don't like how the funnel has come to define the game <laughs> in a lot of ways yep people run the funnel funnels for some people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they never go beyond. Yeah. They don't they don't go on to first level. They just continue. They just play funnels over and okay. over. And yeah. I just I, I see that a lot. Great for them. I don't get it. There's lots of funnels available. And even if you go beyond the funnel, I see a lot of funnel mentality carry over. I, I played in a, a longer running game that went maybe two years. Yeah. And there were players at the table that continued that disposable character concept so that as I was becoming third and then fourth level, they were still coming in with first level characters all the time and zero levels because they would just throw their bodies into the sacrifice. Hey, it occurs to me that, again, that we might have uh, uh, brought up a topic that if you're new to DCC, you might have no idea what we're talking about. Should we very briefly describe what a funnel is oh yeah yeah you, you, okay. you need to describe what the dice chain is rick no we've already done that no i'm sorry <laughs> um but um all right i'll do it real quickly the funnel is kind of like uh goodman and crew kind of took character creation process and they they made a they made a micro game of it in the sense that you start with a zero level character uh that zero level character is a slub yeah, it, like we're talking about a villager, uh, you know, they, they typically are armed with like uh, hoes or rakes or that kind of thing. And they have uh, a mere like a D4 for their hit points. And their first adventure is typically something. Oh, and the, the big deal about the funnel is you you don't roll up one of them. You roll up uh, three to four of them. So you have three to four zero level characters. You go through uh, the funnel adventure and the whole point of the funnel is to weed out 
some of those characters. Uh, in other words, to kill them all, so that you're left with maybe just one or two to pick from uh, to decide which one is going to level up, which one is going to be your first level character. And then they become like, uh, you know, your warriors and your wizards and your thieves and whatnot. Does that cover it enough? Or Yeah, I would like to throw in that when we first started a Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign in the store, yeah, uh, Marcus was the judge. We went through, as a group, 47 zero-level characters. <laughs> So he started keeping track of all the occupations that yeah. had dwindled yeah. out of the nearby village. Yeah. And those items started to become more expensive in yeah. town. That was that's a that was a brilliant move, by the way, by Marcus. That's not the highest body count I've I've heard of, but it is up there. Yeah. But but it does seem to steer some people in a disposable character mentality uh yeah. which 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 I, i'm not necessarily as big a fan of i think it veers from appendix appendix x too because it's very common in a funnel for someone to name their characters like to have some kind of theme and it's typically comedic it's typically about Larry, his Curly, Mo and Shem. exactly you know uh, rhyming or name from popular culture. And it's just like, okay, so Shemp survives and now he's your first level character. Does that feel Appendix in to you? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I mean, Appendix And I'm not saying the solution is to name your characters Elric, Conan, you know, yeah. um, Fawford and the Grey Master. Yeah, for sure. No, the names, no. But the character funnel, I think, is very Appendix in in some ways and very not Appendix in in others. Yeah, Appendix I, is full of both regular people ending up in fantastical situations. And then it's also full of like regular people having, starting out with fantastic abilities. So like, um, but I think the interesting bit about the funnel is like, clearly they struck something in game design where people were eager for this type of game where- oh, Yeah, I've got, I've got entirely other games now that adopted the funnel format, Yeah, And they I give mean, credit to DCC for it, or they certainly should. To be fair, the, the 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 funnel concept, or at least level zero characters, came at least as far as I know. The first instance of that um, that I'm aware of is AD and D, the Greyhawk book, uh, specifically talks about level zero characters and running, and it, and it describes a funnel like experience, not quite the same, but similar. I knew uh, there were I knew there were like TSR books that that uh, featured yeah. zero level characters. I did not know anybody ever like use that as character creation. Like that's the way a campaign would start. Good question. I, if anyone ever actually did, but um, it's there. But the the interesting maybe thing one of our four listeners will like uh, email us and let us know. This gets into one of my dislikes actually uh, a little bit, and and this is why I think people like the funnel uh, is that uh, one of my dislikes is, and it seems like counterintuitive and and maybe maybe um people will disagree with me but i feel like campaign play above zero level level one through ten especially when you get to around level three the survivability of characters is too high uh it is it, you know dcc gets a, a rap for being a very deadly game with a very swingy system mm -hmm. but Starting around level three or so, it is actually numerically hard to kill a character. There are so many there are so many subsystems in the game in order for um, players to swing 
things to their advantage to live, uh, whether that is luck, spell burning, uh, rolling the body, bleeding out, yeah. bleeding out. There, there are so many rules that help characters live longer yep. as they level. And and I I actually find it a little uh, jarring that you go from a very deadly, realistic, gritty zero level funnel to you know very like high powered uh you know fantastical like campaign play where it's actually pretty difficult to kill a character like it it goes to two different extremes maybe not quite extreme but like one of the things that i typically tweak when i'm running a, a longer running game in dcc is is some of those things um so that's one of my dislikes do you have another one there, Rick? We've said a lot of very, very positive things about Joseph Goodman. We've all uh, met him. We all know him. He is just generally a seriously good dude, and I wish him all the success. But I don't care for the collectible aspect of the game. Um, he has the tendencies to do multiple, multiple, multiple covers for what is essentially the same game. I mean, he'll do another uh, a, a printing, not an edition, it's still on first edition, folks, and it's still uh, essentially the eighth printing, which I believe is the most current. It's essentially still the same game as the first printing. It's just got more stuff. It's got corrections in it. It's got some clarifications, and it definitely has more art with it. Definitely, if you should seek it out, you do want to track down like the latest printing to get all that cool stuff. But you know, if you find the first printing and it's cheap, grab it. You know, it's it's essentially the same game. There is a tendency to do a new cover, it seems like, with every printing. And even some in cases, even before there's like a new printing, just another cover, you know, there's... How many covers do you own, Rick? Far, far too many. I'm not like Jim Sketch. Uh, if you ever seen uh, pictures of Jim Sketch's bookshelf, uh, I think he and the Brinkmans, they are probably tied for the most impressive amount of DCC slash MCC slash whatever books that there are. I made a, an early decision that I was not going to buy a cover that Doug Kovacs didn't do. And I've only broke it once, you know, so it's just, it just, it's an aspect of the game that I wish, let's, let's just, let's go back. Let's just focus on putting out cool content for it rather than just essentially the same thing again and again with a different or a collectible cover on it. And that's bled into the modules as well. To his credit, he usually includes something new with a new cover where it's got like a new level to the dungeon uh, that didn't exist before or something like that. But um, uh, it's like, just for my wallet's sake, man, <laughs> let's back off the, the, the collectible covers. It's killing me. So I, I want to take a minute to uh, get my jabs in about Kickstarter. So Settle in, people. This could take a while. So I'm glad that Kickstarter allows them to put out such premium product. Like the chair I'm sitting in right now, Tom? That's right. And, you know, the box sets that they've put out. But with all the stretch goals, it, it, it lengthens the lead time for when we actually get the product, you know, and in some ways I would like to have the product sooner. It's still good in that you'll get content that may have never been produced. Right. But it does stretch out the time. And then from a retailer standpoint, the issue that I've had with uh, the Goodman Games Kickstarters is I used to sell enormous 
amount of dungeon crawl cost for for a uh, smaller publisher i would sell great amounts of the stuff since he went to the Kickstarter model, I sell way less than half as much stuff that I used to yeah. because so many things, That's a problem. Uh, you know, everyone loves the company and mm-hmm. they want to support them. So they support the Kickstarter which means that's another person I can't sell the product to later. But also as they like additional printings of the core book, they also offer adventure modules as, you know, add-ons. So from a brick and mortar retailer standpoint, the Kickstarter pulls it, it away from me and that in turn makes it harder for me to set aside table space and time in the store to support more Dungeon Crawl Classics games or campaigns when other products on the shelf, you know, uh, are bigger sellers. That being said, we still have plenty of DCC here. Yeah. And I absolutely love the game. And I do like the fact that they do have retailer levels on the Kickstarter. Yes. But it still has definitely had an impact from a retailer standpoint. Yeah. James, uh, do you have another dislike you would like to throw out? Oh boy. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw out one that is both a like and a dislike, I guess. Uh, so one of the things I like is the swinginess and unpredictability of the magic system. One of the things I dislike is the fact that in order to play the game, I have to cart around for the most part, a very large, thick, hefty book (laughs) it's the spells are are two-thirds of the um book and yeah it 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 can slow down play occasionally purple sorcerer uh app fixes this for uh a large part i've also like made an attempt to kind of imagine the pdf would come into play there too yeah in general one of the things i like um is minimalism uh when i'm running a game I, I particularly like books that are in the A4 um, booklet, you know, zine format, um, if I can run it with that. And the spells uh, make it difficult to do that. It also makes it difficult to just come up with spells on the fly without, you know, having... So I've had to... All of this is solvable. I've had to, like, come up with little systems for making making spell results on the fly. Uh, I put some of that into the pamphlet crawl that I did. But there there are lots of ways around it. But that's one of my dislikes is the, the spells take up a lot of space, um, require you to carry around a, a large book, and also, like, looking them up during play can slow the game down a little bit, even if it adds suspense, though, uh, at the same time. And uh, very variability to the game that that can be a lot of fun for sure like when somebody pulls out a spell and spell burns themselves down to you know uh nearly being and you know some huge result is coming and then and they take the time to look it up and they read the the you know 30 plus result on the table and it's game shattering uh that's exciting right um so so that's good but in another way, you know, some people may not care for the 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 fact that it slows the game down so much. Uh, do you think we should move on to likes now? So I, I want to start with one of my biggest likes uh, of the game, the adventures. So the adventure modules, to me, in the last 
10 years, the best published adventures I have seen, most of them have come from Goodman Games for the Dungeon Crawl Classics line. Michael Curtis, Harley Stroh, Joe Bittman, uh, they have all written wonderful adventures. Uh, they're, they're creative, they're unique, and to me, one of the strongest aspects of Goodman Games and Dungeon Crawl Classics is the quality of those published adventures. These are adventures that we will love and talk about for years, much in the way that we have the Slave Lords modules or Against the Giants, uh, you know, the classic D&D. Yeah. I, I, one, of, one of my favorites is the one that the, came with the book by Joseph Goodman himself. Does not get enough credit. Yeah, Portal Under the Stars. Yeah, the perfect. It, it's one of the first adventures that was in a book that I've ran that actually was runnable in four hours. Yep, it is a funnel. But the I've very also first seen, time I got to play was Portal Under the Stars, run by Joseph Goodman. I've actually seen people run that with first level characters, and it's just as challenging. Yep, uh, it's just a very tight well put together module with a compelling story, and it ends the module. Uh, with a campaign arc that the DM has to <laughs> has yep. to follow up on, that has led to more creative campaigns, I think. Than uh, I mean, it's just such a great great module. Yep, totally agree. We Rick, could talk about modules all all day. I think. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Rick, do you want to throw out a like? My like. Well, I guess I was going to save it for last, but let's go ahead and like, uh, let's just uh, start with uh, the dessert before the meal. My number one like, uh, we touched on it really heavily already, is uh, the community, is the friends that I've made through this game. Uh, before we started recording, I went through uh, my Facebook list of friends and I, um, I kind of try to keep my Facebook list of friends tight. I'm not interested in like trying to impress people because I'm friends with Janelle Jackways, even though I am friends with Janelle Jackways and how cool is that? She doesn't know who I am, but I know, you know, still, but, uh, uh, of the 91 friends that I had on, uh, Facebook, I count 51 of them as having met them directly or indirectly because of Dungeon Call Classics. So, you know, what does that tell you? I mean, I, we, we met, the three of us met, uh, what are you quoting? <laughs> I, I said, so it really was about the friends you made along the way. Yeah. So, okay. Yes. Yes. But, uh, we met because of Dungeon Crawl Classics or Mutant Crawl Classics, which indeed was because of Dungeon Crawl Classics. So, uh, I met Jim Wampler, not because of Dungeon Crawl Classics. I met Jim Wampler at Gary Con too, but we met up again because of Dungeon Crawl Classics. That led to me learning about this store. That led to me meeting the two of you. And so we wouldn't be here today without, or I, we might, but, uh, you know, it made it easier because of Dungeon Crawl Classics. So that's my number one like. James, you want to throw a like at us? Sure. Uh, Rick, uh, yeah, like I, I will second that is that I've made lifelong friendships uh, through DCC. And, you know, particularly it is cutting right now in 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic, but I miss all of my DCC friends 
so much uh, right now, and I can't wait to see you all again. Let's just name drop them one at a time. That'll be part three. Yeah, part three, part where we just simply like name all. Uh, I think Corey, we're already up Corey to Gosman. name drops. <laughs> yeah, I just added another one. Yeah. So I, if if yeah. all of your DCC friends would actually listen to the podcast, that would be like our listeners times twelve. There you go. Right. Uh, yeah, I would. I don't know. <laughs> but as far as a, a legit like that isn't stealing, uh, Rex, I, I think one of the things I like the most uh, is the number of little subsystems in the game that are that are refreshingly new from a game design perspective, uh, even if maybe they, they were taking taking from other games or inspired. I, so patrons. I think is a fantastic add-on system to the game. Uh, the Mighty Deed mechanic is one oh, of the best mechanics definitely on my in a role-playing game ever. Uh, I, I I have one maybe dislike with Mighty Deeds in that some people really struggle with coming up with a Mighty Deed at the table, and and the game does do provide a few uh as an example but like putting people on the spot to come up with something creative during a game some people will thrive with that and just come up with amazing stuff and some people are like i I don't know i hit it with my sword so real quick i'm gonna throw out what the mighty deed is fighters get to add an additional uh it starts off as a d3 and it works its way up the chain right instead of getting like uh, the typical base attack bonus where you get a plus one plus two as you level up you get a Starting from first level, you get a plus one D3. Uh, second level, it's a plus one D4. Third level, plus one D5, and, and, and it, so forth and so forth. It's a bonus to hit and to damage. And then also to replace a lot of things like feats, <clears throat> like yeah, disarming feats. attacks and trips, you declare it as a mighty deed. And if you roll high enough on your deed die, that goes off as well. So you yeah. can trip an opponent. You can knock his helmet down over his eyes. You can uh, knock him off his feet. Uh, so if yeah. you're used to like, uh, well, I really love to be able to do like a whirlwind attack, but because I don't have this prerequisite feat and because that, you know, this and that, uh, that's not true in DCC. It's like, go for it, man. You know, if you think of something cool and like uh, it seems to energize the table, it seems to energize the judge, roll the dice and, you know, who knows, you just might be able to pull it off. And that's from first level on. So that corruption, there's just so many subsystems uh, of rules. Yeah, uh, in DCC that I I think are refreshing from a game design perspective. They speed the game up, They and then they add something interesting to the game. I, Patrons is a good example of that, of adding yeah. something interesting, giving people a reason to adventure. Like, you, your power comes from this patron. Oh, you want to talk appendix in. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. that's so appendix right. in. It, it After the great mouther. Yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, you know, Elric. Uh, uh, Elric, uh, yeah. So it, there's so many rich game mechanics in sub little systems, mercurial magic, corruption, all built into the system that I think are are just fantastic. And they just add so much flavor to the game and inspire your imagination. This it was the DCC RPG was the first role playing rule book I read cover to cover yeah. in one sitting in a very long time. And I left the game being inspired to run multiple campaigns. <laughs> so yeah, that's my that's my like. 
Yep. So one of my biggest likes, and to me, it's their grandest success in emulating the Appendix N is its genre bending. It's like your wizard, it is not unusual in a DCC game for your wizard to step through a magical gate and get run over by a car. I, I mean... Uh, you might find laser pistols in the game. You might find aliens. You never, the, the thing is, you never know what it's going to be. It's not like there's common magic items or common monsters that you run into. Any creature you encounter, you may know, have no idea what it is. Any magic item you find, uh, and that's very appendix. And your magic wand might actually be a laser pistol. It's you just don't know. There's that mystery there. And and the genre blending really uh, adds to the mystery because you don't know if that's a dragon flying at you or an F-14. So uh, just to move things uh, along a little bit, uh, Rick, do you want to talk? Uh, let's go to the Thieves Guild and talk about what you'd like to... Well, let me squeeze in my last like. Oh, okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I've already referred to it earlier, so um, no surprise here, but I said earlier, the reason I know that DCC is my favorite game because if I play a fighter, I want to play a DCC warrior. If I play a, a, a rogue, I want to play a DCC thief. If I play a magic user, I want to play a DCC wizard. If I play a cleric, I want to play a DCC cleric. Uh, same is true for halfling, dwarf, and uh, an elf. Uh, and finally, the other rule uh, would be the rule of judge. Um, if I am to run a game, I want to be a DCC judge. That's the system that uh, I can run without consulting the book, um, it, you know, easily if it's a funnel and often even if it's higher level because, you know, it takes a little bit of prep work beforehand. But, you know, once the, the game gets going that I don't even need to crack the book anymore. So that's how I know it's my favorite. So that should definitely be considered on my list of likes. Do we want to go more likes or do we want to go into what we'd steal? Let's, let's go into what we steal. Okay. Typically, when we talk about what we steal, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of stealing it for. I'm thinking of how I would steal it <laughs> for my Dungeon Crawl Classics game. So uh, what would I steal for something that wasn't DCC? I would definitely steal Fallen Damage. I think I talked about that earlier and how that works. I would definitely steal Deeds. I love how you stole Deeds for our Castles and Crusades game where yeah. you gave uh, one of our uh, a dwarf fighter, you gave him uh, a first-level Deed that he can, uh, you know, it doesn't improve, but he absolutely loves it. And it just is one of those little things that, you know, it translates so well from one system to another. Um, so deeds uh, would look hard at luck. And like I already said, uh, falling damage. Oh my gosh, it just, uh, what wouldn't I steal? So you pretty much, luck, falling damage, and mighty deeds. That That's my list right there. Yeah. So we've already covered both you and I. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so uh, I, I trampled all over you. Uh, you got two thirds. You got two thirds, maybe of yeah. mine. I I would steal and have stolen luck. I, well, for, first, the what what I would steal is like everything that's not nailed down until I get a crowbar. You bet. And then you I bet. would steal that too. Oh, you but, don't think my dwarves and other games are going to be able to smell gold? You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's, 
there's so much that I steal on a regular basis. Whenever I'm running anything, any game yeah. uh, that is a fantasy game, it there is DCC in there. But the dice chain, the dice chain, uh, have yeah, I've definitely stolen that. The other, the other thing though, I, I think you you're onto something though with luck and mighty deeds being. One uh, a thing I I would steal. The other thing I steal is patrons. I oh, add yeah, patrons yeah. to any any game, if not from a mechanics standpoint, just from a I love I love a system where magic has sources of power and that comes at an obligation. Uh, and it come you know, and the more you draw upon it, the more obligated you become. Is such a great fantasy trope to draw from and also like get your players to to take some risk get some reward and then use it to to have adventures later that they're obligated to i think it's great so uh th- those are the things i normally steal also crits and fumbles i think i i steal pretty oh yeah liberally from that all the time yeah, yeah. so i i feel like we've done a pretty good job of expounding on one of our favorite games all of us so we should probably go ahead and wrap it up and you know celebrate a successful end of season one to Yay. the 50 shades of D podcast i just got a, a message from headquarters that we just went from four to five listeners <laughs> uh so uh did you your know. mom invite somebody james yeah yeah you know it, it, mom, mom, mom has been spreading the word to, you know, a couple of her friends. So, and and prepare for some sweeping changes in season two oh, of the D Fifty Shades yeah, of D Deep yeah. podcast. Some of the stuff is just uh, is uh, at the blueprint stage, but it should be exciting. And and I'm I'm sure, as in all of our favorite role playing games, that some of the changes are going to screw something else up. So let's just sign off with that well-known advice from the good advice dwarf. Never split the party. Never fire into melee. Don't spell burn until after you have (laughs) used luck. Look at you like mixing it up. He's winging it. He's winging it. He's he's crazy. (laughs) So see ya. Bye.